0: morning welcome to christ the king Uh, my name is penny and i'm the pastor here if you are a guest or a visitor welcome Uh, we're glad that you're with us this morning as we gather for worship and as we come to god's word and uh, if you do have a copy of god's word i'd encourage you to open your bible to james chapter 4 there are also bibles in the chair in front of you and you can find our passage on page 1013 Um, james chapter 4 it's good for us to have god's word in front of us and if if you don't have a copy of the bible if you don't have a scripture um i i would just tell you take that bible with you uh, the one that you just pulled out in front of the chair that is our gift to you it is yours there are no questions asked we are happy for you to have it and we're happy for you to have it because we believe that the word of god the the bible is the best word for us that there are many words that we hear in our world there are many Uh, voices that are speaking to us there are many things that we can give our attention to but the most important word the most important voice that we can give our attention to is the word that is found right here and so i encourage you if you don't have a bible please take that one um, and go ahead and turn in your bibles to james 4 now at the end of last week uh, as Tobias was uh, preaching, we were reminded at the end of verse 10, or the beginning of verse 10, the end of the passage, that that we are to humble ourselves before the Lord. That's how James ended the last section, and Tobias told us last week that we humble ourselves. The reason why we humble ourselves is because God draws near to us. Now that that's a pretty uh, that could be a pretty intimidating. to consider right that the lord of heaven and earth the creator of the universe he draws near to us and so of course we would humble ourselves before this majestic one but we also humble ourselves because god redeems us he's the one who has saved us he is the one who has rescued us from our sin we humble ourselves before the lord but james is going to continue to tell us why we humble ourselves Not just because God redeems us, not just because he draws near to us, but but also because of who we are. You see, when we consider who we are, what man is, and we consider, more importantly, who God is, we cannot help but be humble before him. And that's what James is going to tell us this morning, who it is that God is. And so let's go ahead and read James 4, beginning in verse 11. James writes, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if the judge, if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there in trade and make a profit. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Our God, our King, we do ask that you would show us the right way to live. We ask that as we come to your word that you would show us a right way to understand you and a right posture towards you. We pray that you would humble us before you. Father, we ask that because we are in need of your grace. We are in need of more of you. We are in need of your leading and your directing. And so we pray that that is what you would do this morning. That you would lead us in the way that we are to go. And so open our eyes and soften our hearts. And allow everything that we say this morning to give you glory. Allow all of the meditations of our hearts to honor you. Our God, our King, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. One of our elders... Um, Chris Griffith Chris knows I was going to bring this up so this is no surprise but one of our elders Chris if you've ever spent any time talking to Chris um, or any length of time talking to Chris you've probably heard him use this phrase he has this wonderful pithy little statement it goes something like this he says "Um, the whole of my theology can be summarized in this that there is a God and I am not him There is a God, and I am not him. Now, Chris promises me that is not original to him, but he can't remember who said it, so I'm going to assign it to Chris. There is a God, and I am not him. That's a pretty good statement, isn't it? And what Chris is talking about when he uses that statement, there is a God, and I am not him, he is trying to explain what theologians have called the creator-creation distinction, so that there is a creator, right, there is one who has existed from all time before the universe existed. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? Three in one. God, one, one God in three persons has existed for all time, and he rules over the universe. He has always been, and he is very different from his creation, right? He's very different from the world that he created. He is different from the the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. He is even different from you and from me, right? There is a creator and there is a creation. There is God and I am not him. Now let's contrast that with another uh, famous uh, one of sayings, uh, a famous saying, that not of a theologian, but a philosopher, Nietzsche. And Nietzsche, he said this, he said, there cannot be a God, because if there was one, I could not believe that I was not him. (laughs) Right. So we have Chris and Nietzsche. (laughs) I got to tell you, on this one, I'm siding with Chris. Right. There, is, there cannot be a God because if there was one, I could not be, believe that I was not him. Now, let's just admit that Nietzsche gets something right here. He is not God. But he fails in another area, right? He, he fails to recognize that there is a God. So he's right in acknowledging that he's not God, but he fails in recognizing that there is a God. And, and the truth is, is that maybe some of you, that that's what you're wrestling with this morning. Right? I don't know all of you. I don't know all the questions that you might be bringing. But maybe you're coming in here and you're actually wrestling with that very thing that Nietzsche is, is saying in that statement. Like, may, maybe there isn't a God. Maybe there is. I'm, I'm not really sure. Maybe you come into this place and you know that Christians think that there is a God who created the heavens and the earth. And he sent our Lord Jesus to live and to die and to rise again. But, but you're really not sure. And let me just say that if you come with that question, we're not afraid of that question. That that as Francis Schaeffer said, that that we want to give honest answers to honest questions. And so if you come with that question, we want want to talk to you about that. I know I would love to get coffee with you. I'm sure Chris would love to get lunch with you, or Andrew, or Tobias, or, or many of the others in our midst would love to have that conversation with you about why we can have certainty that there is a God. And that I am not him. But I do know the vast majority of you, and I know that for the vast majority of you, that's not your question. Is there a God? That is not the problem that you bring into this place. You see, our problem, yours and mine, isn't is there a God. Our problem is, is that we actually like to pretend that we are God. At least the God of our lives right? We we would never actually say that we are God. We would bristle at anyone who would ever say that, But, but in our lives, we actually embody a posture that is more in keeping with the poem Invictus, where William Henley writes, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. We live lives that are more in keeping with that than the Biblical posture that there is a God and I am not him You see friends every single time that we throw off God's ways Every time we say well, I know the Bible says this or the Bible tells me not to do that I know the Bible says i'm not supposed to speak badly about my brother I know that i'm not supposed to entertain lustful thoughts in my head, but I'm, just gonna let my tongue flap But I'm just going to keep flirting with those thoughts. Every time we do that, what we're doing is we are placing ourselves as God, the God of our lives. We are saying that my way, my law, my desire is greater than his. And in this passage, James is challenging that. In this passage, James is presenting us with a couple of the ways that we like to pretend or we fall are dangerous of falling into the trap of acting like we are God and he shows us in this passage that we are not and where James begins is with judging he begins with judging look at verses 11 and 12 do not speak evil against one another brothers the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law but if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who, who are you to judge your neighbor? So do you hear what James is telling us? James is saying that the one who judges his brother, who speaks evil against his brother, who judges his neighbor. Okay, so he, he extended it beyond the bounds of the people of God, right? Your brother and your neighbor. Your neighbor are those outside of God's people. Those who who speak evil against our brother or judge our neighbor. What? We are not doers of the law. Now, we've heard that language of doer before, haven't we? If you've been with us through our study in James, we've heard that because in chapter 1, James gives us what could be the theme statement of the entire book when he tells us that we are not only to be hearers of the law, but doers of the law. That we are to be doers of God's word. And what James is telling us is that to be doers of the word or doers of the law means that we will not judge our brother or our neighbor. Because to do so, we are no longer doing the word. So what does that mean, though? Like, so does that mean that James is saying that there is no moral standard by which we can hold another accountable? I mean, it kind of sounds like that, doesn't it? And, and I am certain you have heard people throw that at you. Right? Well, ju- you know, do not judge or you will be judged, right? Judge, lest not you be, you be judged, right? Like, we, we've heard that, right? So is that what James is saying? Like we're supposed to just live and let live. Anything goes. It really doesn't matter. That any sort of moral authority that we might have, we just keep it to ourselves and we never bring it up. And and anyone can just live anyway. Is that what he's meaning by that? Well, that's not what he's saying. (laughs) And this is where we use scripture to help us interpret scripture. So if you've been around the church, you've heard that phrase before. We use scripture to interpret scripture. And in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus takes up this idea of judging. Matthew chapter 7 is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthews 5 through 7, Jesus is giving us the principles for what kingdom living is to look like. He's telling us what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. And he says in Matthew 7, Judge not that you be not judged. It's actually a really funny picture Jesus is painting, isn't it? I mean, there's this guy who's walking around with this giant log protruding, coming out of, right? <laughs> coming out of his eye, right? It's, it's just there, and he's walking around. He's oblivious to it. He's ignoring it. it. It gives him absolutely no concern. But that tiny little bit of dust in his brother's eye, now that is concerning, Right? That's troubling. That's worrisome. That little bit of dust, right? So what's Jesus saying? Is he saying, ignore the dust? Is he saying, ignore this? Well, that's not actually what he's saying. Did you hear what he said at the very end? He said that we are to remove the log out of our own eyes so then we will see clearly and be able to take the speck out of our brothers. Jesus isn't saying, pretend that the speck's not there. He's not saying just ignore it as though there's no moral standard to which we can judge whether it's a speck or not. He's saying it's there. But before you judge that speck, you better judge that log. You see, he's not saying there's no moral standing. He's saying that we have to apply that standard not only to our brother, but also before our brother to ourselves. And that's what James is getting at. That's what he's getting at. You see, because when we pick and choose which laws we're going to expect people to adhere to and which laws we're going to adhere to, we're acting like God. In the very beginning of your bulletins, there's some uh, different, uh, different reflections. And in one of them, Dan Doriani writes this. That when you pick which commands to obey and which to ignore, we insult God's person. For his commands are not arbitrary decrees. All of God's commands express his nature and all suits us perfectly. To reject God's law is to reject him and to enthrone ourselves. And that's exactly what James is saying. You see that when we only apply portions of the law, when we judge our brother, but will not judge ourselves, what we are doing is not just judging our brother, but we are judging the law. We are putting ourselves above the law and saying, only these laws need to apply. Only these laws I need to concern myself with, and and amazingly, it's usually the ones that we can keep. But we are not to be judges of the law. Why? Because I'm not the judge. And neither are you. If you're following along in your bulletin, you see that under uh, the main point, right, point one, there's a little blank. I've never done this before. I might never do this again. But uh, there's a little blank Right? And the the main point, it says what? It says there is a judge and I am, and you are supposed to fill, not him. Go ahead, write it down. Right? It's good for us to write it down. It's good for us to say it out loud. There is a judge and I am not him. It's good for us to say that because we so often think that we are. And we judge others not by the law in which we hold them, that God calls us to hold them to, but by our own law. There is a judge, and I am not him. And the way that we do this, I mean, James even gives us an example. The one who speaks against his brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. You see, the example he's giving us, when we speak harshly or slanderously, that's what that phrase speak evil is getting at. It's speaking of slander. That when we slander our brother or sister, when we destroy the reputation of another, what we're saying is that portion of the law, it doesn't apply to me. I don't have to keep it. But you're not the judge. And neither am I. And y'all, that's freeing. It's actually very freeing. Just to say that there is a judge and I'm not him. That is a weight and a burden that we are not intended to carry, that, that God did not make up for us to carry. He did not give it to us so that we, he did not give us his law so that we would be the judge over the law. He is the judge. He is the lawgiver. And he is the judge and the lawgiver, the one who saves. That's what he says in verse 12. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. See, friends, we we can be free to not feel like we have to judge our brother or speak evil against our brother or to judge our neighbor because God is the judge. And that means he's not going to let sin go by. He's not going to ignore it. You see, sometimes I think that that's why we try to judge our brother or our neighbor. It's because we we have this concern like I know what they're doing I know what they've done and everybody has to know or maybe it will never be brought to light. But God knows. God knows. He doesn't let sin pass by. He doesn't let injustice go unpunished. He doesn't let judgment he won't let judgment be ignored. And we know that he doesn't let sin go by and he doesn't let injustice go unpunished because he hasn't. He didn't let sin or injustice or judgment pass by. Instead, he put those very things on his son. I mean, Jesus took our sin and the injustice we committed and the judgment that we deserve and he took those things upon himself. And he did it He did it knowing that God would bring judgment. He did it knowing that God would judge rightly. And he did it so that we would be free from it. God will judge rightly. There's a judge, and you're not him. Neither am I. Now, maybe you're like the 1% of people in the world who judging's not a problem. (laughs) Maybe that's too high of a number. Maybe you're like the like 0.2% of people for whom judging isn't a problem. And so you're sitting there going, well, you know, uh, that's the, you hear that, honey? Maybe that's what you're doing right now. But don't worry because James is going to poke you somewhere else. Because the truth is, is that even if we don't pretend like we're God in the judging of others, we do like to pretend that we're God when it comes to tomorrow and when it comes to the future. And that's where James goes. Look at verses 13 through 14. He says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So we like to know what tomorrow is going to bring. But do you hear what he said right, right away in verse 14? But you don't know. We like to pretend that we know, right? We like to pretend we read the stars, and we watch the stock market, and we do we know what tomorrow, but we don't know. You don't know. That's what he tells us. And it's that knowing, not knowing, that makes it so hard, isn't it? Because we want to know. We want to know tomorrow. We want to understand what's coming. We want to mitigate any kind of risk that tomorrow might bring but we don't know, right? Tomorrow could bring a diagnosis. It could bring the rejection from a loved one. It could bring a car accident or a tree that falls on your house. It could bring a whole host of things. We don't know tomorrow. So what do we do with that not knowing? Well, most of us, we get anxious. And we get worried, and we get concerned, and, and then we start controlling or trying to control, right? That's, that's what we do. We, we start to control. We think that we can, we can put into place protections for tomorrow. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, so we're going to control t- today in the hopes that tomorrow will come out the way that we desire it. And in doing that, we're acting like God. And James tells us in verse 16 that that's just arrogant. Because we can't control it. And we can't control it because we're but a moment. Look at verse 14. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. That is humbling, isn't it? In the scope of the time frame of human history and of the universe, we are but a mist. We're gone. As my friend likes to put one of my friends likes to put it, a hundred years. We're all forgotten. It's pretty humbling, isn't it? So why would we think we can control tomorrow if we don't even know if we'll see tomorrow? See, since our lives are momentary, since we are here today and gone tomorrow, we can't control tomorrow, and so here's the the fill-in-the-blank again. There is a tomorrow, and I don't control it. So what do we do? we just throw up our hands? Throw up our hands. Well, who cares then? Let's just live today, right? Live for the next moment. Live for the next minute. You know, I'll zero out my retirement, and I'll just forget about all the plans that I have, and kids, don't go to school. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> didn't say that. Is that how we're supposed to? Of course that's not how we're, how we're supposed to respond. Look what James tells us in verse 15. Instead of trying to control tomorrow, he says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. If the Lord wills. If the Lord wills. Now, listen, that's not some uh, magical incantation, like that we can just say, and, and so now we can kind of backdoor control. Like, if the Lord wills, now I'll get what I want. That's not what that is. And it's also not this qualifier we have to put on every single statement we make. Like, hey, honey, can you pick up the milk? We're out. I would be happy to stop by the store if the Lord wills. (laughs) Like, we don't have to do that either, okay? It's not a qualifier, and it's not some magical incantation. He's getting at a heart posture. He's getting at at a, a posture of our heart, a disposition of our heart. James is getting at this mentality tomorrow uh, about tomorrow that that does think about tomorrow, that does plan for tomorrow, but we do so not with fists, white knuckle grip tightly around our plans, but but relaxed and open handed. If the Lord wills, if the Lord wills, we relax our grip. And we open our hands to the Lord's will for tomorrow. And we do this because tomorrow I don't control. But more importantly, there is a tomorrow and God does control it. You see, if the Lord wills is not just saying that we don't control tomorrow. But it, what's implied in that statement, if the Lord wills, is, is a belief that the Lord's will is good. We say, if the Lord wills, because we believe that his will is better than our own. And here again, the Sermon on the Mount helps us. Because right before Jesus talks about judging others, he has this beautiful statement at the end of chapter 6. And some of you know that this is my favorite portion of Jesus' teaching. And at the end of chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this. Do not be anxious about your life. Man, that grabs you, doesn't it? Because who's anxious? Yeah, put up your hand, All of right? We, yes, we are all anxious. And what does he say? Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself y'all that is beautiful the lilies of the field they're clothed in splendor the birds of the air their bellies are full if god clothes and feeds them surely he will care for his people won't he i mean did you hear the question jesus asked Are you not of more value than they? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes, and we know we're of more value than they, not because of anything that we have done, but because of what Christ has done for us. You see, his love for us is so great that he gave his life so that we would have life. And his love is so great for us that he gave his life so that we would not worry about tomorrow, but that we would know that tomorrow is in his hands. And his love is so great for us that he would give his own life so that we could say, if the Lord wills, and be sure that his will for tomorrow, it is good and it is right and it is beautiful. Are you not more glorious? Are you not more of value than they? Friends, there is a tomorrow and we don't control it. And that's freeing. that is good because though we don't control it God does so what do we do with that like how do we live with that James tells us in verse 17 so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him it is sin you see when we know that God is the judge and we're not when we know that God controls tomorrow and we don't it frees us to do what is right. And what is the right response to all of this? Well, where did we begin? Before we even read the scripture, where did we begin? Verse 10 Humble yourselves before the Lord. That is the right way to live in the midst of this. That is the right response to the judge of whom we are not. That is the right response to the one who is in control of tomorrow to humble ourselves and to be free from judging others in the law. To humble ourselves and be free from the anxiety and trying to control tomorrow. To humble ourselves before God because there is a God and I'm not him. To humble ourselves because there is a God and you are not him. To humble ourselves because there is a God and he is good let's pray father we thank you that in your goodness you have judged and you have provided and you have cared for and you have sought after your people you have drawn near to us and you have showered us with mercy and grace you have cared for us in the days that have gone in the past, and we are sure that you will care for us in the days that will come in the future. Father, we declare with one voice, you are God and we are not, and that is good. And so help us today in all our days to humble ourselves before you, our God, in whose name we pray. Amen. I'll invite the ushers to come forward, and we'll take this morning's tithes and offerings.